0: Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to John 1. Finish out John 1 today as we're working our way through the gospel of John. How did you meet Jesus? What happened when you came face to face with Him? Charles Spurgeon lived in the 1800s. He was 15 years old. He was on the way to church, and he was met with a giant snowstorm, a blizzard. As he is walking to church, you know they didn't have cars then, so you know he's walking to church. And he gets caught in this snowstorm, so he just takes shelter in a different church, just one that he happened to be passing. It was a primitive Methodist church. Um, the pastor was out for the day. A layman was preaching, just somebody from the congregation. Um, the text that he was preaching was Isaiah 45, 22. It says, look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Spurgeon heard that and received Christ, and he became arguably the greatest preacher in history. Augustine lived in the 300s. He had a life of loose living and drunkenness until his 30s. His mother spent years praying that he would receive Christ, years and years and years. And at some point, he randomly read Romans 13, 13 and 14, which says not in caressing and drunkenness, not in sexual excess and lust, not in prov- no, make no provision of the flesh, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he became one of the greatest writers in history. His writings influenced even the Roman Empire. His book, The Confessions, is arguably one of the greatest Christian works ever written. Um, I was in a, the, ho- the hallway of a hotel reading a novel, and as I read that novel, um, the character in it was a um, really good person, really um, held up highly by, by all the people around him. And at some point in the book, he realizes he's not a good person and that he needs Jesus. And that was my story. I thought I was a really good person. I thought I was the straight A student, the one who never disobeyed his parents, the one who um, obeyed all of my teachers, never got detention, Therefore, I'd be okay, and I was met face-to-face with the fact that that's not true. How did you meet Jesus? This morning, we're going to see how five of his disciples met him, and there's a lot of things in their meetings with him that relate to how we met Jesus. So John 1, 35-51. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Two disciples are with John the Baptist. John the Baptist, remember, has been out in the wilderness baptizing, getting people ready for the Messiah to come, and he has been out baptizing. He's got two disciples, and they're with him. One of them is Andrew, Peter's brother. The other was probably John, the one who wrote this book. Um, There are several times in John when John either mentions a random disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved, as he will call him. Um, John never mentions himself by name. This is probably John with Andrew. You're going to see that random disciple pop up a lot in the book. Um, They heard the preaching of John the Baptist. And as John is standing there, he sees Jesus coming toward them. And he says, that's him. That's the Lamb of God. That's the one I've been telling you about. There he is. And they go. Andrew and John leave John the Baptist and go after Jesus. John the Baptist is not upset about this. He's not upset that you know, two of his church members left and went to Jesus' church. Um, this is his purpose. This is why he exists. His, his purpose is to point people and get them to go to Jesus. So Andrew and John come up to Jesus, they say, where are you staying? Who who are you? And Jesus just gives them an invitation, which is going to be all throughout this passage, come and see. My my translation says, come and you will see, but come and see. Come see who Jesus is. Come see who he is. You know, in my life, I've had a lot of discussions with both atheists and people of other faiths, um, especially when I was in college. And so many of them had a lot of questions. Um, why did God command Israel to murder entire people groups in the Old Testament? Why does God allow suffering? You know, why does God allow cancer or coronavirus or, or whatever? What, why have Christians been responsible for so much evil in the world, like the Crusades? Um, what, why, they, they would ask these questions. You know, we can certainly answer those questions. There are answers to those questions. But but I wonder, are are answers to those questions going to actually bring them to faith, actually convince them? Or are they just going to have one more question, one more objection? What I would always tell these people is, look, I can give you an answer, but why don't you just come check out Jesus? Come see who Jesus is. Come take a look at Jesus. He can withstand your scrutiny. Come, Come see him that there was a journalist um, worked at the Chicago Tribune, I believe in the 1980s, his name was Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel, um, his wife became a Christian. She started going to this new hip church in town um, and he was an atheist. He did not like the fact that his wife was getting into this Christian group, this this cult, if, if you will. And so he decided, I'm a journalist, I'm going to investigate the claims of Christianity, I'm going to do an investigative, journalistic investigation into Christianity, and I'm going to prove it wrong. And I'm going to throw it in my wife's face and say, get out of this cult. So he started interviewing Christians, interviewing the best biblical scholars around, digging very deep into the Christian faith, checking Jesus out is what he was doing. And in the end, he couldn't discount Christianity. Couldn't do it. He tried and tried and tried, but there was no case against it. He surrendered and became a Christian. And he he's he's actually served as a pastor since then. He's not a pastor anymore, but, but he was at one point. Um, he came and checked Jesus out and it changed his life. There's another man named Nabil Qureshi. He was a Muslim man. He grew up in the United States in a very devout Muslim family. Um, But there came a point when he began to ask questions about Jesus. And those questions were answered, and he became a Christian. He wrote a biography about his journey called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Unfortunately, he died in his 30s a couple years ago from from a crazy bout with stomach cancer. but, But he came and checked out Jesus, and his life was changed. Our journey with Jesus starts with coming to see who Jesus is. For some of us, it takes ten minutes of hearing a sermon like what happened with Spurgeon. For others of us, it takes years like what happened with Lee Strobel. But if you check out Jesus, you will not be disappointed. If you come and see who he is, you will not be disappointed. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Do you have family members and friends who don't know Jesus? I do. They need to come see Jesus. They need to come check him out. Sometimes we think, you know, they just need to get back in church. But no, they they need to come check out Jesus and see who he is. A person who doesn't find Jesus fascinating will be bored to tears with church. Think about that person. Pray for them. Spend time praying for them to come and see Jesus. Encourage them to come and see Jesus. Maybe you say, hey, let's, let's sit down and, and, and read the Gospel of John together, and I want you to tell me what you think of Jesus. You know, back in seminary, my, my best friend was my roommate, and he wanted to reach his mom. He wanted his mom to come to faith in Christ. So he began to call her every single night, and they would read the Bible together. And in the end, it, he ended up being able to confirm that she knew Jesus, but he really wasn't sure. Um, and He would do that every single night and it was incredible invite those people to come check out jesus that's what they need you need to come check out jesus you need to come see who he is we often have such a small view of jesus such a boring view of jesus and that's why most of us are bored with him how often are we fascinated with something with a completely different Jesus than the Jesus the Bible puts forth. How often are we fascinated more with a football team or our Facebook? Come check out Jesus. Come see who he is. That's what Andrew and John do. And they spend the rest of the day with him, according to verse 39. After Andrew and John, Andrew goes to find his brother. He, he finds Simon, who's going to be renamed Peter. Notice that word in verse 41. Um, he, he found his brother. That word found is going to pop up multiple times here in John, but also on uh, multiple times in chapter 1, also into the rest of the book. Um, we're going to see that word pop up, so pay attention to it. There's a, there's a lot of finding that happens in this book. Um, He comes to Peter, and he says, we have found the Messiah. We've found him. The one the Jews have been waiting for, the one who would bring God's kingdom to earth, the one who was literally going to to, to transform the world, the one who was going to take their story and make it um, last for eternity. That person was here, and he says, come and see. Come see who he is. We've found him. So, Andrew brings Peter, brings Simon to Jesus. Um, John shows us detailed stories about um, four of Jesus' disciples that we don't get anywhere else. We see stories about Andrew, Philip, Nathanael, and Thomas. Um, We don't get anything about them in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Um, Andrew shows up in three specific spots in John right here at the feeding of the 5,000. And at the triumphal entry, all three times, Andrew pops up. And each time Andrew appears, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. He's bringing somebody to him. And Andrew is that example for us to bring our friends to Jesus, bring them to him. Again, have them come check him out. Who's someone you could bring to Jesus? Think about that person right now. Let Andrew be your encouragement to bring them to Jesus. So Peter comes to Jesus and Jesus renames, well, Simon comes to Jesus, Jesus renames him to Peter. Your translation may say this is um, he renames him to Cephas, which means Peter or a rock. God does this many times throughout the Bible. He renames Abram to Abraham. He renames Jacob to Israel. Um, he, he, He does this many times. It's interesting though that he names Simon Rock. Because if you know anything about Peter's story, he's the farthest thing from a rock. He crumbles time and time and time again. His better, word, his better name would be gravel. Like the, there, there's just no solid rock in any of his life. He crumbles over and over and over. But after Jesus ascends to heaven, after he dies on the cross, rises from the grave and ascends to heaven, Peter is going to be that rock. He's going to be the leader of the disciples as they begin to reach the world with the gospel. Peter's name, Jesus gives him, does not represent who he is in John 1. It represents who he will become, who he's going to be, who Jesus is going to make him into. When we meet Jesus, we change. We we, we are transformed. Jesus gives us a new name. Sometimes that name is not who we will become immediately, but who he's going to make us into. What was your name before you met Jesus? Was it addicted? Was it depressed? Was it drunk? Was it promiscuous? I had a number of names before I met Jesus. Self-righteous, uptight, outcast, empty, not satisfied, What name does Jesus give us? Well, we could just take the thing that we we say our name was before and, and make it the opposite. That's what Jesus makes us. So if we were promiscuous before we met Jesus, Jesus makes us pure. If we were addicted before we met Jesus, he makes us free. The trouble with that is, though, that often you don't always immediately realize, you don't always immediately or even ever become the opposite of what you once were. That is until we get to eternity. So if before Jesus you were, your name was drunk, you don't necessarily just give up the bottle when you become a Christian. It might be a battle you wrestle with for the rest of your life. If before Jesus your name was depressed, you don't necessarily become all puppies and rainbows after you meet Jesus. Spurgeon, as I said earlier, as incredible as his joy was, he struggled with depression his entire life. Can I just say something to you? Christians get depressed. If you're wrestling with that right now, it's not abnormal for a Christian to be depressed. Depression comes to even Christians. So what name does Jesus give us? Well, um, hold your spot in John. Flip to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14, as you're turning there, I need a drink of water. Revelation 14, 1. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, um, the way I understand the book of Revelation, the the 144,000 are a symbol that represents the church. The same way the Lamb is a symbol that represents Jesus. Some people would disagree with me on that, Um, say that the 144,000 are 144,000 Jews that will convert in the last days and go evangelize the world. I disagree. That's a conversation we'd have to have another time. But I see this as the church, so it's a symbol to represent the church. They have his name on their forehead. He's differentiating between what he's just said. You may not see this if you read the book of Revelation and and stop at chapter endings. He's differentiating between 13, 16 through 18. Also, speaking of the beast, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his name is, his number is 666. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Those who follow the beast have the number or the name of him on their forehead. Those who follow the Lamb have his name and his father's name on on their forehead. It signifies ownership. The one you follow is the one who owns you. The one you follow is the one who has their grip on you. So what name do you have if you know Jesus? Well, it's not necessarily a name you would be called like Bill or Stephanie. If you're a Christian, you have Jesus' name on your forehead, you are his. Depression does not own you anymore. Alcohol does not own you anymore. Pornography does not own you anymore. You belong to Jesus. He is, you, you are His. That's what happens when you meet Jesus. That's the new name He gives you. Back to John 1. Now I lost my place. John 1. We've seen Andrew and John. Now we see Peter. Oh, wait, we've seen Peter. Now we see Philip, next, verse 43 and 44. Notice the word again. He found Philip. He went to Galilee. He found Philip. He said, follow me. There's that word again. So Lieutenant Dan asked Forrest Gump, have you found Jesus yet? Forrest said, I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him, sir. Understand something very crucial. You didn't find Jesus. Jesus found you. He he wasn't lost, you were. He came and sought you. You were lost in your sins, dead in your trespasses. He burst onto the scene and rescued you. You would have had no hope without him coming to find you. One of my favorite hymns, it's one that was actually just written in the past 10 years. It's called, O Great God. Um, The second verse of that hymn says, I was blinded by my sin, had no ear to hear your voice, Did not know your love within, had no taste of heaven's joys. Then your spirit gave me life, opened up your word to me through the gospel of your son, gave me endless hope and peace. We were the ones that were lost, and Jesus came on the scene looking for us. He he came and got us. Your only hope and what should be your greatest joy is this. You were lost, and Jesus found you. We come to the final disciple, Nathanael. That's kind of the rest of the chapter. Um, Philip, verse 44, actually 45, Philip found Nathanael. There's that word again. He found Nathanael. He said, We found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. It's Jesus of Nazareth. We found the one. The Old Testament was their Bible. They didn't have the New Testament yet. uh, Genesis through Malachi is what they had. Um, The the one that that book is all talking about, the one who's coming, he's he's here. The the one that Old Testament is constantly talking about, he's here. Notice, everybody in this passage, everybody in chapter 1, comes to Jesus by the witness of another. John the Baptist, through the witness of God, Andrew and John, through the witness of John the Baptist. Peter, through the witness of Andrew. Philip, through the witness of Jesus. And Nathaniel, through the witness of Philip. We have to speak the words to another person for them to come to come to Jesus. They, they have to be led there by a witness. Nathaniel, um, he only appears in John, um, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they list the 12 disciples. He's probably the one listed as Bartholomew, probably had two names um, Nathaniel hears that the Messiah is from Nazareth, and what's he say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's just a small redneck village. Are you really telling me the Messiah is from there? It'd be like, it, it would be like us saying that the, the next candidate for president is from Chula. We'd be like, really? The middle of nowhere? He, he's from Chula? And, and Philip says, just come and see. There's that... Phrase again. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. So he brings him to Jesus. They come to Jesus. Nathaniel's approaching Jesus, kind of skeptical. Um, he, he doesn't quite buy into this yet. Jesus recognizes that skepticism, and he says, "Here's a true Israelite. There's no deceit in him. There's nothing false in this guy." He's, he's as real as he could possibly be. He's coming to me and he's not pretending to be somebody else. He's coming to me as skeptical as he is. He's real. What you see is what you get with Nathaniel. He's not hiding anything back. He's not pretending to be, to, to, he's not pretending to like Jesus, but actually he's skeptical behind his back. He's honest and real and Jesus commends that. Even though he's skeptical, Jesus doesn't shame him for being skeptical. He commends him for being real. Be real with Jesus. He knows who you are. He knows who you are better than you do. And when you pretend to be something else like Jesus doesn't notice, he sees right through it. Nathaniel hears Jesus say this, and he says, how do you know me? Well, Jesus says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And that just rocks Nathanael's world. Wow, you are the son of God. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? I saw you under the fig tree. Wow, I'm ready to give my life to you. Is that all it took? Well, two things going on here. First, it was probably a moment when Nathanael was completely alone by himself under this fig tree, yet Jesus knew he was there. But then secondly, Zechariah 3.10, back in the Old Testament, says that in the last days it has this prophecy that people will invite each other under their fig tree. And and it's like Nathaniel's calling back to that, and he's thinking, it's here, what Philip said is true. It's, It's really the Old Testament being fulfilled right here. And so he just cries out, you are the Son of God, you're the King of Israel. He's the King of heaven and the King of earth. Each of the disciples, except Peter, but he's gonna have his own little episode later, each of the disciples here makes some kind of proclamation about who Jesus is upon meeting him. John the Baptist calls him the Lamb of God. Andrew and John call him Rabbi. Uh, Andrew by himself calls him the Messiah. Philip calls him the one Moses and the prophets wrote about. And Nathanael, to crown it all off, you are the Son of God, you're the King of Israel. And Jesus says, I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. That, that's all it took for you to believe. Just wait. You'll see way greater things than that. You will see miraculous things. Understand how the Gospel of John is laid out. Chapters 1 through 12, called the Book of Signs. Jesus is going to perform seven miracles in those chapters. There, he calls them signs because they point to something else. A stop sign is a sign because it points to the fact that you're supposed to stop right there. It's, a, it's the Book of Signs, seven signs that will display his glory. Chapters 13 through 21 is called the Book of Glory. That is, all throughout 1 through 12, you will see Jesus talk about his hour that is coming and in 13:1 that hour comes that hour is his crucifixion nathaniel will see greater things than this he says you will see the signs and you will see the glory heaven opens, and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's calling back to Genesis 28, a dream Jacob has where he wakes up and there's a ladder going up into heaven, and there's angels going up and down that ladder. It's kind of a freaky dream, but, but he has that dream, and, and that, that ladder, understand going up to heaven, like you can climb the ladder and go up there. Angels are descending and ascending on it. That is the way to heaven has come. The way the ladder has arrived. He's Here, that's what he's saying. The point of John 1, the entire chapter, is this. God is here. God has become man. He's here. There's no question about it. And Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. That is referring to Daniel chapter 7, where um, a, a figure called the Son of Man approaches God in heaven, and God gives him authority over every kingdom on the planet. He gets authority over Rome, over Israel, over Germany, over China, over the United States, over Mexico, over Brazil, over everything. He gets all authority over it all, and that's who Jesus is, and he's here before these disciples. Come and see him. Come and see him. If you're a Christian, you haven't seen him enough. Plunge yourself into seeing Him more and more. Give your life to that, to beholding His glory. If you don't know Him, come and see. Come and see His glory. Come and see His saving power. Come and receive Him, because there's no hope for you apart from coming to see Him. If you don't believe me, just come and see. Let's pray. Father Jesus is the Son of God. He's the King of Israel. He's the King of the United States. He's the King of my life, and He's the King of every person here. He will reign no matter what. Lord, no matter if COVID-19 drags out for another five years, He is still King. No matter who wins the election in November, He's still King. No matter what happens to each of us today and for the rest of this week, He's still King king. He's still son of God, king of Israel, king of our lives, reigning over all of creation. Nothing takes him by surprise. Oh God, may we come and see this Jesus. May we not settle for a Jesus that is no more than a, than a, than a figure on the flannel board for kids, but, but he is, may we settle for a Jesus that is all glorious, that is beautiful, that will satisfy our lives in every way, will supply all that we need, and will be our hope. Father, I pray that every person here today has that hope and is gazing at him. It's in this powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.